Hello, this is David Ritchie. Thank you for listening today. I would like to start telling a story that's been in my mind for a long time. And eight or nine years ago, after my grandparents passed away, I found a box in my mom's garage that contained a whole bunch of, of letters between my grandparents from 1942 to 1945. And the family did sort of know that they existed in the in the fact that we knew that they had written letters and that my grandparents were really good at keeping everything. But for at least most of my life, my grandpa talked about the war by showing a scrapbook and showing pictures, but he didn't really mention these letters. They were definitely something that they kept private. But between 1942 and 1945, my grandma and grandpa, James and Virginia Crosby, wrote daily letters. Uh, each one of them wrote every single day. It didn't matter where he was positioned. Uh, he was in the, the Air Corps of the Army, and she was back in Cincinnati. And no matter what was going on in their lives or what, what he was facing in the war, he wrote every day and she responded every day. And somehow they also managed to get all those letters back to the States. All the ones that she sent him, he kept and either shipped home or brought home with him. And they ended up in this big giant box in their original envelopes, all out of order and sort of a, a big tangled mess. So when I found them, I immediately thought, wow, I wonder if anybody's ever read, read these. And I, I wanted to kind of dive in. But as life would have it, when you have kids and a career, time goes by and, you you know, I, I, I read a couple here and there and kind of got really into the story at different times in my life and thought about different ways I could share the story with other people. But when it really came down to it, I never had the time to, to really make much of this project. And now I have a little bit of extra time on my hands. So this is really just a, a test. This this first recording, I'm hoping, will just give me an idea of, of how difficult this project would be, which it's already more difficult than I thought. And there are, I think, about 800 letters. We've never actually counted, but based on the time span and the daily writing, um, some periods of time he was back at home, so they didn't write, so you have to subtract that. But we think there's probably somewhere in the range of 800 letters. And they're all written in a very beautiful old script, which means it takes a, a little longer to read on this very thin paper. Sometimes it's pencil, so it's really difficult. So transcribing them has been really hard. I can't really just get out the letter and read it into the microphone because I'll stumble a lot on the on the script. So instead, what I've done is taken some time to transcribe a few of these letters, and then I can read from from that, which makes it a little bit easier on me. But my hope is that I can tell a little bit of this story, and if anybody that I'm sending it to enjoys it, then maybe I can record a few more of them. So I do apologize for any of the mistakes in the audio. I'll try to get better at that as I go on. And the best way to start this project, I think, is just to grab the first letter, take it out of the envelope, transcribe it, and start reading it. So, you know, there's a, a lot of uncertainty in the first few letters. It starts in 1942 in November when my grandpa is leaving for basic training and my grandma is back home. And, you know, I don't think she wants to, to live by herself at home right away. So she goes to visit some family and some friends. And he, um, at the time of, of leaving for basic training, doesn't even know where he's going. He doesn't know what, what fort he's going to be at, where he's going to do his training. He doesn't know what part of the military he'll be in. He has no idea if he's going to be on the front lines in a trench or if he's going to be on, a, on an island in the South Pacific. He doesn't know. There's so much uncertainty in these first few letters and um, so much missing each other. 
which is really very sweet. And I think that's one of the things that we'll see as we get into this is that they're, they were very much in love. And one lesson I've taken from my time reading these letters over the years is that when you love somebody, you just have to tell them and you have to say it uh, often and express it so that they, that they know. And that's something I've learned from my grandparents is how to love. And that's really what this story is about. It is set in World War II, but I don't believe it's really a war story. This is a love story. And I, I sincerely hope you enjoy it. And I'm very happy to finally share it with you. November 18th, 1942. Wednesday, 8 a.m. Riding through Georgia. My darling Ginny, as I write this letter to you, it reflects my thoughts of the past day and night, as you have constantly been on my mind. You will notice from the top of this love note that I completely missed my guess as to where we were being shipped, but let me start from the beginning. But before I start, let me say, honey, I love you more than you will ever know, and I miss you just as much as I love you. Monday night was a rather restless night, as you might have expected, but I slept four hours, getting up at 5 a.m. After breakfast, we were told to get our duffel bags and go to the garage and get ready to leave which I did. We got over there at 6 a.m. and sat on hard benches until 8.30 p.m. last night before we finally pulled out. These are the things, I suppose, that make people like Bernie Smith so disgusted with army life. For the first couple of weeks, you have these whole days with nothing to do but think, which isn't good for the fellows away from nice homes and parents and beautiful wives, meaning you, of course. But if we all get together and pray the feet off of Jesus, maybe we can get this damn thing over and get back to some solid loving real quick. At 8.30 p.m., we took a bus from Fort Thomas to the Newport train depot. We pulled out at 9.16 p.m. and headed south, but it was dark and we missed all the pretty mountain scenery in Kentucky and Tennessee, and now that it is light, we are in Georgia and can see nothing but the red clay that I know you will remember from our honeymoon trip down this way. We are riding in coach and had to sleep sitting up last night, which wasn't very comfortable as you can remember. The train is very smooth, and the ride is nice during the day, though. If it were not, you know I wouldn't be able to write while riding. We just finished a swell breakfast served in the diner, and it didn't cost me a cent, and never does, and neither does this ride. Nice, isn't it? We had grapefruit juice, coffee, scrambled eggs, bacon, hot beans, and cereal. I wish you were here so I could get the utmost enjoyment out of it all. The sun is just rising over the hills now, and it is a beautiful night as it's reflecting on the red clay hills. No one knows where we're going, but we still have two meal tickets left, so that means we'll be riding all day and possibly all night, too. The coach we're in goes all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, but we may transfer or get off before that. Who knows? Maybe I'll be aristocratic this year and spend the winter in Florida. I'm going to stop this letter shortly and then finish it when we arrive so that you will know where your one and only is roosting. Your first instruction to me has been carried out masterfully. This morning, I went through the garage asking who was the other two-third of my three-man army, and at noon I finally found them. We have been together ever since. One is Ray Driftmeyer, who is 34, and one of the swellest fellows I've ever met. He is sitting next to me now. In fact, he gave me this paper on which I am writing. His wife died six years ago at the age of 26, and he is a boy who is 14 years old. 
Before going into the army, he worked in the foreign and travel department at the Fifth Third Bank downtown. The other fellow is Ray Stewart, who is 19 years old and also very nice. He was a bookkeeper in a sand and gravel business up until now, so maybe we're all three headed for a clerical work after our basic training. I showed them your picture, and you should have heard the whistles and comments. I guess your ears will be burning for the duration, because I'm going to show your picture to everybody and show them that I have the best and most beautiful wife in this whole war-torn world. How is everything going with you, my brave wife? Did you remember the dentist? Did you go to Mary Lou and Paul's? I am sending this letter with one to Mom and Dad, and telling them to forward it to you if you are not at home. Thursday evening, 6 p.m. We changed trains at Jacksonville at midnight last night, and then headed toward Miami. As we drove into Florida, the scenery was really beautiful, everything in green and blooming. The palm trees had coconuts on them, and we arrived in Miami about noon today. I hope you got the telegram I sent you. I sent it from the train, and the porter said he would send it out at Daytona Beach. I was sort of thinking you'd be worried, since you probably expected me to go to Indiana. When we got to the Army Depot, trucks met us and brought us across the causeway to Miami Beach. It was a beautiful ride. I am staying at the Whitman Hotel on Collins Avenue. It is a beautiful place. The windows face the ocean, and the hotel is right on the beach, and I can see the waves crashing as I am writing this to you. It is a room on the sixth floor, about the same kind as we had at the Sheraton. It has four beds for the two rays that I told you about, another fellow, and I. It has a dresser, big closet, bath, and shower. I guess this was about the best thing that could have ever happened to me in the army. We ate twice today out of our mess kits. We ate on the veranda overlooking the ocean in our shirt sleeves, and then scraped our pans with sand and washed them in the ocean. It is really warm here. We have our summer uniforms on, and we are still perspiring. When I took a shower this afternoon, I noticed that my whole face was starting to get sunburned, except where my cap covered my forehead. Also, before I forget to tell you, I'm in the Air Corps, and I am here for basic training, drilling, etc., for about three weeks, unless I am stationed here permanently, which is very doubtful. My address is Private James E. Crosby, 112 9th TSS Flight 50, Special Training Center, North Miami Beach, Florida. Do not put the name of the hotel or the street on which it is located. The TSS stands for Technical Squadron School. You will forgive this letter being written in pencil, I am sure, as I ran out of ink and couldn't get any to replace it. The ideas also are out of order, but I just wrote them as I thought of them so I could tell you most of the things that happened. Please write soon, darling, as I am most anxious to hear how you are doing and what you are doing. Ask me questions about the things that I omitted or didn't make clear in this letter. I'll have to close now, as the gang and I are going down to the post exchange to get some ink, writing paper, etc. I am allowed to have a camera and the radio, but if it is only the three weeks, it wouldn't be worth sending them, so I'll wait and see what happens. Well, darling, take care of yourself for me, and remember, I'm always beside you day and night, hoping for that day when I will really be there to say goodnight, Jenny, darling. Your Jimmy. November 21st, 1942, Saturday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Jimmy, darling, I just finished taking a nice hot bath, and the telephone rang, bringing me the news I've been waiting for since Tuesday. So, my darling is in our honeymoon town, Miami. Does it seem the same to you as a soldier as it did as a bridegroom? Gee, Jimmy, I was so glad to hear where you were. 
I think the time seems so long because I didn't expect you to go so far away. To tell you the truth, I thought I would know by Wednesday. So by Friday, I was beginning to think everything under the sun happened to you. But now I know you're safe, and I hope with my whole heart you are as happy as you can be without me and those you love. I'm writing this before I read your letter, so I don't know what has happened to you. Paul is going to take me over home tonight to get it. Mary Lou and Paul have the sweetest little home. It has four rooms and a bath on the first floor and an unfinished upstairs. The sweetest thing in the house is little Pat. She's just the sweetest little baby, like a baby doll, and she has only awakened me twice since I came home Wednesday night. The baby was baptized at the hospital, but she has to be named yet. Tomorrow is the day. Ruth Flaherty is to be the godmother, and Bill Donnelly, who is across the sea, is to be godfather by proxy. I was reading Helen's Beacon last week, and it said that Sister M. Petrona is making her home at Regina and is teaching now. The UC Xavier football game is just over, and it's now 4.45 p.m. The score was UC 9 and Xavier 0. Too bad. I'll send the clipping from the paper to you. Hugh Flaherty is in the Army. He enlisted in the Ordnance Department, and he is still over at Fort Thomas. I went to Dot Neiman's shower Thursday night at Rosemary's. Now for the hen-clicking. Mary Margaret Stan left last Sunday for Great Lakes. Sis's Ed is in Pearl Harbor, and Nett's Tom is in New York City. Rosemary's Owl went down on 4th Street yesterday. Anita May's Bob is in Columbus. Betty's Will is in New Mexico. She lives with him but came home for the wedding. Ginny's Jim is in Florida. I'll let you know what we talked about, our men. Friday, I asked Mom to call Fort Thomas to see if they would tell us where you were. She tried several times, as the information line was very busy. In the meantime, my aunt called and said she would try, so she found out. Well, honey, I see you're in the finance department. I'm so glad. I love you, Jimmy. Repeat every minute and you'll know how much. I miss you, but I'm not a gloomy puss. Not all the time, just once in a while. Well, darling, it's just about supper time, so I'll say I love you, Jimmy, and stop. My address here is 1131 Wilmont Court. College Hill, Cincinnati, Ohio. I'll be here until Wednesday and then back home. I'm still here. I just can't stop writing. I just can't wait until I get home to get your letter. By the way, Helen got our pictures, and I'll get them to you and send them on. I love you, Jimmy. Here is a big kiss. Got it? I haven't written to Brother Steve, but I will, darling. I love you, Jimmy. Well, honey, I must go. I love you. Bye, honey. Ginny. November 21st, 1942, Saturday, 9.40 p.m. My own sweet, darling, handsome Jimmy. I just returned from Mom's and feel so much better. I feel just like I heard your own wonderful voice. Honey, have you gotten my first letter yet? I mailed it tonight. Mom said she wrote you too. We will keep you busy reading. I love you, Jimmy, darling. I do, I do, I do. Four hours of sleep wasn't much last Monday. I'm so glad it's over. Those first days aren't any fun, are they? Gee, honey, if I could have been with you, Tuesday, I'll bet it would have been the longest day you ever spent. I thought an awfully lot about you on Tuesday. Were you ready to give up? No, I know you weren't. You are too wonderful for that. I know, Jimmy, we're both going to take this as best we can. Just think of how happy we'll be when we're together again. I love you, Jimmy. You bet we will pray the feet off of Jesus and the whole gang up there in heaven. Jimmy, darling, maybe you're going to be stationed in Florida. Dad called home this morning and said he saw in the morning paper that you were in the Army Air Corps Finance Department. 
I wouldn't think they would send you all that way for three weeks' basic training. If they do drill you, honey, just take care and think how that training will help you walk the floor with our little Jimmy and Kathleen and so forth. Just think how perfectly swell it would be to tell our babies about your experience in the army. You can't possibly know how I feel about you finding someone you like. I'll be indebted to anyone who helps you along as a friend in any way. You talk about being proud of me, honey. My chest is sticking all the way out. I'm so proud. You're all I ever talk about day and night. I'm even talking to Jesus about you at night. My mouth didn't give me any trouble at all. It's almost better now. That kiss you gave me for going to the dentist did it. Is your stomach still wobbly, darling? Hold it tight and think my arms are about you. Here is a kiss for each sore ankle. Connie returned Wednesday night. She had a swell time. Bill had a three-day pass. I can imagine how much they slept, can't you? Bill is going over. I don't know when, though. I didn't get any telegram, Jimmy. I wonder what happened to it. Darling, your room sounds fine. Do you sleep well? Does it turn cool at night? Now for more questions. Is the hotel taken over by the army? What time do you get up and go to bed? Are you always going to eat out of your mess kit? Did you have to get up early on the train? Do you know what you have to do yet? If I think of any more, I'll just ask. Did you get a hat and belt yet? Do you want anything, honey? Please ask for it if you do. Please, please, please. I bought you some cashew nuts tonight, darling. Ruth is coming over tomorrow, so I'll give them to her to give to Uncle Hugh. He'll take them to the post office early Monday. Look for them, will you? A kiss is on everyone except those you give away. I do forgive the pencil. Whatever you do is perfect as far as I know. Paul just bought me a glass of beer. I'll take a gulp. Good, good, good. Honey, I'm feeling fine, much better since I read your letter. You will write as often as possible, won't you, Jimmy? Will you have a nice picture taken as soon as you can? Thanks, darling. I know you have different ideas about this, but if there's any way possible, let me come with you to Miami. If you don't think it's all right, I won't say anything else about it again. You are always beside me up here. I slipped in a rollaway bed. It's small, but we fit. Well, honey, the beer has made me sleepy, and it's about 10.45, so off to bed. Good night, Jimmy. Your Ginny. Well, that was really special to share that together and to listen to some of those words from them from so far away, so long ago. And it's really nice to hear how much they loved each other and were missing each other in those first days when they were newlyweds and everything was uncertain and there was so much hope and possibility and probably a lot of anxiety that they had for the future. And I think it's really important to just hear those those words and think about how people in the past got, got through their anxieties and through their distance and how that can inform us today and what we what we do with our situations today. So thank you for listening. If you liked this, then please send me a note. Um, I'd love to hear some feedback. Take care of yourselves and uh, send me my love.